Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mindwall podcast. If you're, uh, if you're a new visitor, then I'll have you know that my name is MP Stradel, and I'm co-hosting the Mindwall podcast with my colleague Jean Roux. We are always interested in talking to people about what's new and what's innovative in the mining industry, specifically as it pertains to digital solutions and, and digital transformation, or really any innovative transformative uh, thinking and new technologies out there. And uh, of course, as we as we talk about those things, um, innovation and new transformational thinking is typically only useful if it adds value to any mining organization. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How to mine for value. How to find new and more valuable ways of doing things, how to unlock value for mines, and, and kind of the ways that mines look at doing this. My guest today is no stranger to this topic. Uh, his name is Gary Rolf. Gary is a, he's a value engineer or a mining executive uh, at MineRP, <clears throat> and uh, his job, uh, he jokingly remind me that's the only thing he has to do is to <laughs> a help clients find mining value uh, and secondly to when when miner p implements mining solutions and technological solutions to keep our focus on the value and not just on technical compliance to what we have been contracted uh, to do from a software perspective welcome to the mindwall podcast gary or welcome back i should say Thank you very much, Jeff. It's good to be back. Gary is a, is a mining engineer uh, by background, both by experience and by learning. Gary, why don't you just tell us quickly uh, your background and how you uh, how you came to be a value engineer? Sure, MP. Um, I started off in the mining industry um, way back in 1988. Uh, started off as a as a learner for uh, Anglo Gold. Uh, back then, it was called the Golden Uranium Division, um, sure. but uh, Anglo-American yeah, Golden Uranium Division. Um, you know, cut my teeth in those do in those deep level gold mines, and um, you know, this worked is in my South way Africa, up right? in South Africa, yes, and uh, worked my way up, you know, through the organisation. Um, spent um, just over twenty five years uh, with Anglo-American in total, and uh, the last seven years of my career. I was the principal mining engineer for Anglo-American Group Mining um, in a global role um, and uh, probably the best seven years of my career because I learned so much more than what I had in any of the preceding years that I spent in the mining industry. Hopefully that excludes your current uh, <laughs> career. <laughs> You're probably referring to that at, at Anglo-American, am I right? <laughs> um, let's just move on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then um, so in uh, 2014, went and uh, did some consulting on my own for around a year, um, and then was asked by uh, IBM um, if I could join and help them to get back into the mining industry as such. Um, initially focusing on South Africa, but that also quickly uh, developed into a much more global role, you know, and had success in various countries around the world. And then joined MineRP in uh, November of 2018 as this mining exec focusing on, on value for our clients. 
you know, as a mining executive, I, I said earlier, or you said uh, uh, to me in our, in our prep chat, that your job is to help clients to, uh, to identify areas in the mine where they can add value. And I want to read to you a quote that I read in the mining magazine recently. Sounds like this. Uh, the, the heading there is, is traditional consulting values on the rise. If scarcity improves value, there is no doubt that uh, mining's remaining independent technical mining consulting leaders are going to see even more attractive terms being offered for their businesses and brands in the decade ahead. And the same can be said of the geoscientists, the mining engineers, and the process engineers they're competing for in a shrinking global talent pool. So I don't know if, if, if you look at it as a good thing to be part of a shrinking global talent pool. <laughs> Gary? It's, it's well, it's definitely not a bad thing. A, of a shrinking global general pool, I guess. <laughs> expanding yeah. The fact is, it's all about value, isn't it? it it's about identifying. Uh, mining is really getting more and more difficult and, and good resources getting more and more scarce, etc. In finding the right value is not that easy. And, and you've got very specific ideas of, of what the major kind of areas and the drives are that are available to mines, to mines for finding value. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about that whole value context, if I can. Yeah, sure, MP. So, in general, when you talk to miners about you know value and, and things like that, uh, they tend to jump straight back into um, how do I increase productivity, how do I reduce my my costs. But value, hmm. uh, in the context of a mining business, uh, is a lot more than that. And there's really four distinct areas uh, in which you can add value, not exclusively, but there's there's four areas in which you can you can add value. The first one is in uh, visibly uh, or demonstrably supporting the business's strategy. And this is very important um, to shareholder value or the perceived value that shareholders have in your in your company. Um, the, the second area is demonstrating again that that you are embracing innovation to make your business uh, better. Um, you mm. know, can you reduce risks, uh, improve safety, uh, improve, you know, um, uh, consistency in the business, those kinds of things. So in a showing or demonstrating innovation uh, also adds a lot yeah. of value to, to a business. Then there's the the, the, the risk side um, as well. And you can sure. add value by, by being able to assist the business in identifying risks and mitigating risk. And that the fourth area is then, you know, where our minds traditionally kind of go. And that's the the, the demonstrable kind of um, value area. So improving um, efficiency of a business, uh, reducing costs, um, those kinds of things. Those are the, the more tangibles uh, kind of yeah. area. So, yeah. so really those are the four areas where value can be added to a business, you know, in support of the strategy, um, demonstrating uh, the, the innovative side of your business, um, the risk identification and mitigation, and then the tangibles, uh, the increase in productivity and costs, et cetera. Because I, I think from a from an engineering perspective, we kind of almost always go to the uh, the more of X or the less of Y or the or the better ratios or, or getting the same out much faster or uh, and, and so on, which is as you say, you call in these these tangibles. But uh, but there's a lot of value when, you know to be had thinking about the mind not only as a place where you break rock. 
and and uh, and hoist tons, but rather as a as a business that has many opportunities for improvement, isn't it? That's correct, um, MP. So it, it depends on how you're looking at your at your business. So if you're looking purely at uh, at, a, at an operational kind of level, then you know shareholder value is is not top of your priority list. Then your your focus will really be on on more of those those tangibles. But you know a, a business isn't just the rock that we break and deliver to the processing plant and extract uh, the mineral out of it. Um, sure. There's shareholders. There's uh, environmental uh, considerations uh, as well. ESG. Um, is becoming more and more important, it, not only to to the business and, but you know, as as humanity, we need to start uh, taking more care of what we do to our environment, and and that's why it's becoming a lot more important to mining business as well. And again, it adds value. Sure. Yeah. So if we if we talk about things that add value, it's also true that not all good things add value. You think of the traditional, you know theory of constraints, then finding the bottlenecks uh, is really important because I could be adding a lot of effort and a lot of energy and even improving specific processes without having a uh, much of an impact on the business as a collection of interconnected systems. Um, so, so what do you say to uh, a specific discipline head or head of department that's really gung-ho to improve things in, in their department. Uh, but he or she is not, doesn't think of the, uh, of the mine from a mining as a business perspective. You're absolutely um, correct, uh, MPN. And, uh, you know, traditionally speaking, um, business improvements have been done, have been done within those, uh, in those disciplines. Uh, through my career, um, I have seen uh, numerous examples of where it's actually destroyed a lot of value. And one that comes to mind straight away is uh, an open pit mine where the um, the mining part of the of the operation um, wanted to improve their their load rates and their full factors and you know all those productivity uh, type things. Um, yeah. And what they decided to do was to narrow their blasting uh, spacings and put more energy into the ground, uh, which just gave them uh, a fragmentation, which was a lot easier to to handle. However, the detrimental impact on the business was that the uh, the processing plant or beneficiation plant uh, was running autogenous mills, and inside an autogenous oh. mills, need a, a spectrum of um, fragmentation sizes because. It really crushes itself. Yeah. Um, so um, the efficiencies that they got on the mining side was completely negated by the inefficiency that they handed over to the beneficiation plant, um, and it destroyed value. Uh, it added to their cost. You know, in, at the end of the day, to try and make up um, and to give out to get the moles to actually do what they were supposed to do again. Yeah. So, so that's a great example. Asked, yeah. <laughs> thanks. You asked the question about. Um, you know, so how do I how do I address heads of department that want to go ahead? Um, I think everybody is starting to realize that that you cannot work in isolation in the mining uh, industry. And and I use the analogy of a train. Uh, you have a locomotive at the front, uh, which is your motor force, um, and you have the caboose at the back, which is you know like your safety uh, system. Yeah. Um, but a train is nothing if it only consists of a locomotive or a caboose or a or a car, a car itself. 
Yeah. Um, the train has to work in sync together. No, that's that's absolutely true. So the same obviously goes for the for the mining business, which even more importantly than than a train, you know, each consecutive business process also is supposed to add value. I mean, we, we are talking about a mining value chain, which which means that as we progress through the mining value chain, then then the the product, of course, increases in value of the reserve or the resource increases in value and and. That means that um, that I've got to know what the next step is expecting of me, and and I've got to be aware of the upstream and downstream benefits and risks that my Correct. specific actions introduce. Correct. If it'll only add value if it satisfies the needs of the next step in the value chain, as you as you described it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess that introduces a a question of. Uh, <laughs> Of technology and the and, and the ability to share information and so on. Now you're a mining engineer. Maybe before I you know get too technical, what on earth made you think that that getting involved in a technology company um, would be a good choice to help resolve some of these seemingly very technical and and physical problems that mines face? So so through my career, um, you know clearly I have uh, instigated. Yeah, business improvement uh, initiatives. Um, you know, to try and get the the operations as as efficient or more efficient, and therefore you know deliver more value uh, into the business as a whole. But I think what really really opened my eyes to the real value that sits within um, digitalization of the mining industry was I was looking at um, at a coal mine. In the USA, they have their head office in in St. Louis, um, and they could not produce more coal because they were in a captive uh, contract. Right. But they were really struggling under the current um, uh, market price, and therefore needed to have a look at improving efficiencies. I was fortunate to have uh, one of the smartest data analysts um, I've ever come across uh, on my team, um, and simply by understanding what the data was telling us um, because they were collecting a lot of data off of their primary mining equipment. Right. Simply by understanding what the data was telling us, uh, being able to interpret uh, what was coming off of the, the machines, we were able to park uh, or remove from their fleet, um, you know, several of their of their hauling trucks yeah. um, and still maintain the same level of, of productivity. Um, so the cost came down uh, in accordance, um, and and to me it that really was the moment where I thought, you know what, digitalization is not uh, automating. Uh, digitalization is not introducing um, digital tools. It all fits together, but it's only true digitalization if you use the data and understand what the data is telling telling you. So when I was uh, in conversations with various people from MinorP and Pitonel uh, in particular, you know, I realized this is the kind of company that has this ability to create this data, to 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 uh, open up the mining industry's eyes to to the data that they're collecting and how to use it. Mm. Um, and and that was really uh, what I based my my choice on to to join the MinorP team. You know, I felt that I could have an influence on more than just um, an operation that I would be involved with uh, and, and more across the mining industry. And it's proven right so far. 
uh, yeah. with the various um, product uh, projects that I've been involved with. So, if you had to to give you, give us a definition of uh, of digital transformation, as opposed to merely digitizing assets, how, how would you put that? I would say digitalization would be the collection of data from various sources, uh, bringing the data together so that the pieces of data actually relate to each other, and then having the ability to analyze and understand what the data is telling you. Right. And, and only once you can use that information, you can use that data, uh, to me, then you're digital. You've digitalized and when you, when you use this word analyze, I mean, uh, it's a bit of a term of art, and I know you use it very specifically also, you know, having been, uh, you know, involved in, in some of the projects at, um, at IBM and so on, that, that you don't only mean looking back, using descriptive analytics, but you also include in that, you know, uh, pre uh, predictive and prescriptive analytics, that that's where the real transformation starts to happen, assuming that you have access to the data, right? You, you cannot discard uh, the descriptive analytics, the, the looking backwards, uh, yeah. because it does tell you what you've done wrong, and therefore you could do something about it. But looking forward, taking what you did in the past and using it to look forward, then you're really using your data to help you yeah. to drive uh, the value out of your business. So, I mean, Gary, you've been around a lot and, and throughout your career, you know, in operations and then in, in, in you know, high technology uh, companies and so on, you've kind of picked up a lot of experience as well that helps you with this kind of gut feeling for what works and what does not work and to be able to, to, to look at a mine's operations and, and very quickly deliver or develop a feeling for what's wrong at that mine. But when, you, when we talk about mining consulting and finding value, there are also uh, specific tools of the trade that you've introduced uh, as a as a kind of a toolbox that help you to find value and to express value, isn't there? What are maybe some of those tools that uh, that miners should be looking out for and should uh, should expect their consultants to be able to use? When we uh, first engage with uh, with a client, um, it's the most important thing is to understand what the client wants to achieve. What is it that the business is driving towards? And once you know that, the next most important thing you need to understand is, well, what is preventing you? What is hindering or slowing you down from actually achieving what it is that you've that you've set out? Knowing that, <clears throat> we can then start delving down into the detail. And um, uh, within my, in the context of MinRP, um, we use uh, what we call a rapid value assessment. Um, yeah. And the rapid value assessment is based on the principles on, of issue-based consulting. Um, and it's a very strict discipline, and it has right. proven its it's proven its effectiveness over and over again uh, inside mine RP um, because it guides you to ask the questions that help you to understand you know what is causing the hurdle. So um, everybody knows that you, you need to understand the root causes before you can solve a problem. Um, and that's sure. what the issue based consulting does to us. So it's not merely about, you know, talking to to people on uh, in the business or at an operation, um, and saying, "Oh, yeah, no, you need to you need to fix A and B." Um, the the discipline that we follow and the tools that we use takes us down to the level where we can actually understand the root causes. And once you address the root causes, 
you know, then then you start eliminating the hurdles. And once you've eliminated the hurdles, then the value will happen. Um, sure. Yeah. You'll be able to achieve what it is that you're looking to achieve. Now, now some of that also, uh, you know, comes back to to um, the way that that we look at information and, and and how information is used as an asset. And uh, the mining industry has invested a lot, you know, jointly or collectively, I should say, in the development of reference architectures, uh, such as the Open Groups reference architecture and the ISO 95 uh, uh, models and so on. Is that something that that you guys use as well in uh, identifying uh, maybe process bottlenecks or information flow or, or systemic uh, bottlenecks uh, in in the generation of value and the sharing of information? Yes, we do because you know um, it's it's all good and well that you you know you you have um, you have a business and you know you're trying to drive uh, certain things within within your business. But everything runs on on a process. Everything runs on um, uh, a standard operating procedure. Is you know kind of the language we use in in the mining industry. Sure. Um, and being able to use this reference architecture, like the ISA ninety five, um, it helps us to to also identify where business processes aren't really supporting uh, the business. So mm -hmm. yes, it helps us to look at some some bottlenecks uh, or to identify some bottlenecks. Um, but it also helps us to identify where the business process needs to be adapted. Um, sure. You know, yeah. Because that is, it's the process itself that is causing the bottleneck. That's really, really interesting. So uh, just to be sure, Gary, if you look at a um, added process and add bottlenecks, then uh, how do you go about structuring a solution using hypotheses or, or uh, using previous uh, Previously designed and configured solutions. Is it a combination of IT and and, and uh, pure process optimization? Where do you start first? It's really a, a combination of um, of three things, uh, MP. So the the MinorP platform itself um, is is a very powerful enabling tool. Um, right. But simply um, laying down a tool, uh, it doesn't does doesn't solve a problem. Um, it might address a small percentage of it, but it never solves the problem. So you cannot just put a tool down uh, by itself. When you put a tool down, you have to understand the impact that it's going to have on the business processes, and you have to change the business processes so that that tool becomes an enabler and not a, and not a, a hindrance. Um, yes. And then in combination with that, of course, is the skill set of the people um, that has to change. Um, whether it is learning how to new, do you, how to use a new tool, or whether it's it's just learning to do things uh, different with the same tool, you have to address the the human skill side of it as well. Um, and all three of those have to be have to receive the same amount of of attention, um, mm. because if you if you if you neglect one, you're not going to achieve the outcome that you uh, that you desire. And when we do these kinds of, you know, value analyses and, and uh, identifying areas where, you know, we can help to address uh, business needs or, or to solve business problems, we look at it in the context of, of all three of those, you know, so to make sure that what we lay down, first of all, addresses the issue. Secondly, will unlock the value that is asked for. But thirdly, is sustainable because often, and, and you know, people that are listening to this podcast uh, from the industry We'll all have examples where a project has gone very well 
um, and and a very short while later, it's not doing what it's meant to do anymore. Um, and that's the sustainability part uh, of the yeah. project that needs to get equal attention. And your your uh, primary focus uh, is throughout each one of those phases to make sure that that everyone keeps focused on the initial uh, value propositions that were uh, that were identified, isn't it? Correct. If the client doesn't get a return on investment, then you know why have they spent the money? Um, yeah. And and my drive is to make sure that the client gets that return on their investment. Gary, we can probably spend many many more hours uh, <laughs> discussing this and the intricacies and so on. But thanks for sharing some of your uh, experience and, and and wisdom. We uh, we always end this podcast by asking our guests. Um, what they are reading on their bedside table. Um, so let's do the same to you. What, uh, what wisdom are you engaging with? At the <laughs> so at, at the moment, I'm uh, I'm treating myself to some some fiction. So um, there's a there's an author whose writing style I particularly enjoy, uh, Clive Cussler. Um, oh, it's very cool. much yeah, he very much writes stories along the lines of, you know, it's real James Bond type stuff and you know the hero is an absolute hero and the heroine always falls in love um, but I just enjoy the style in which the the author writes um, and it's an engaging story so I'm treating myself to some fiction at the moment. Do I remember correctly that the hero is the quit? Correct yes. <laughs> yes. I, I I must admit I'm a fellow uh, Clive Kessler fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Gary, thanks a lot for, for spending time with us uh, again. It's a pleasure as always to have you on uh, on Mindwalk. And of course, um, I'm sure you'd be happy to uh, to share more if, anyone's, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch. Definitely. And uh, thanks again for inviting me onto the, the podcast. Always enjoy chatting to you. Thanks a lot, Gary Ralph from Mindwalk.